Welcome to the Sober Yoga Girl podcast with Alex McRobbs, international yoga teacher and sober coach. I broke up with booze for good in 2019, and now I'm here to help others do the same. You're not alone, and a sober life can be fun and fulfilling. Let me show you how. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Sober Yoga Girl. I am really, really excited today because I have a guest on the show who has been a huge part of the Mindful Life Practice community since almost the beginning, maybe a few months after we started. I have Jules Allen here with me, and she likes to go by Creative Adventurer. <laughs> and Jules joined on the Mind Life practice and she attends classes every day. So if you have been to any Mind Life practice classes, I'm sure you have met her. And now she actually teaches for us. So she runs some of our sober classes. So welcome so much. That's a weird thing to say. Welcome, Jules. <laughs> Thank so you happy so to much. Have you here. <laughs> all, the, all the muchness. Thank you. <laughs> So let's start out. Um, I was wondering if you could give me a little bit of context into telling me about yourself. So who you are and where you're from. Okay. So oh, can I just say this is my first ever podcast. So I'm a little bit excited and a little bit pooing my pants. <laughs> um, and so who knows what words are going to come out of my mouth today. So I'm hoping they'll make some kind of sense. Um, so my name's Jules and I'm from... Bristol which is like in the southwest of the UK and I am 48. I live with my partner and his two children and I am so grateful. I'm beyond grateful for the Mindful Life practice. I'm not saying that in like a sort of cheesy way. I'm genuinely like we've all been through lockdown and Covid and numerous lockdowns and for me the community and the classes have just been such an anchor. They really have. It's like having, I don't know, all these different people around the world being able to be in my living room and sometimes in my conservatory and sometimes even in bed, which is, you know, sharing it with the world. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I've been practicing yoga for, for a really long time and I was really missing it. I was really missing that connection and and being with people and sharing yoga practice so for me finding the community sort of I think it was yeah a couple of months into lockdown was just it was yeah it was like a lighthouse so yeah and I, I genuinely mean that I think you know it's having that structure has kept me steady <laughs> and we're so happy you're part of it honestly it wouldn't be the same without you and oh. some of these people I think about like I'm like what would my life be like without jewels like I don't know like <laughs> when you're not I notice when you're not there and I, sometimes oh. I say out loud you've probably heard me in the on-demand classes being like this is weird that jewels is not here jewels is usually <laughs> so yeah I do I do like to attend all the different classes um I sometimes turn the camera off because sometimes I'm just like lying on the mat having a little kip or have a little cry um, and sometimes I'm wobbling actually most of the time I'm wobbling um, but yeah I think I what I love is just all the different types like just trying it like I've never done hit yoga and bar and things like that my kind of yoga tends to be sort of like sleepy sleepy yoga yeah. um, so to try all of them and to feel like safe as well to come to classes and just know that 
if I'm needing to turn the camera off and, and have a little cry or I don't know have a cup of tea whilst I'm doing it I can do that whereas you know in regular yoga classes I don't think I could get away with a cuppa and asleep <laughs> yeah yeah exactly so I was wondering if you could give me a bit of context into how you started drinking okay Whew. I would say that my childhood unfortunately was was very dysfunctional and I had a, a lot of trauma in my childhood and I, I learned early on different numbing techniques, different ways to just not be present and I would say that two of the main sort of things that helped me, you know, they were tools at the time was creativity but also alcohol and I I think I started drinking very early it was it was definitely in my very early teens um, and I drank because I really loved it I loved being numb I loved being out of it I was very introverted inside but alcohol gave me extroversion it gave me what I thought was confidence um, it was my friend um, I I just found that alcohol was one of those things when I was younger when I wasn't able to deal with a lot of emotions that were happening because of family dynamics it enabled me to escape but coupled with that was also creativity so I think that's why creativity and alcohol and also now yoga has been very synchronicity I can't say the word synchronicity synchronicity and so this that was sort of I guess my dark shadow was using alcohol and my lighter side used creativity and playfulness so yeah I, I used it early on and it, it was something that I I used throughout my teenage years my 20s my 30s and it wasn't until I hit 40 that I went oh <laughs> I need to I need to address this I think it was yeah I think it was when I hit 40. And I think so many people can relate to that I know I can definitely in terms of you know using it as a coping mechanism and I was also a very creative individual right and so I think I had these two sides of me and I think a lot of people could probably relate to that too because it does it does numb you out which is yeah. um it's I had a podcast guest who said, you know, it was a coping strategy and it worked for a while, you know, and I could totally relate to that. Yeah, I, I completely relate. It was, it was, it was in my toolkit. My toolkit mm -hmm. was lots of creative stuff and, and I didn't necessarily know it was about well-being, but the creativity kept me well. But the alcohol was definitely a coping strategy and I would, I would be, like quite blatant about that and say you know the only way I can cope is by having a gin tonic and glass of wine and bottle and what have you and it, it was like a badge of honor you know and especially I think my generation you know we're in our 40s and we did lots of partying and raving and there was the lad out culture and, and lots of young girls and women it was like it was you know it was the thing to do was to get pissed and and uh, yeah, to definitely keep up with the boys. I, I definitely would be out and drinking as much as my boyfriends. And I was like half the size of them. I'm only five foot. So I'd be like swallowing myself with beer and 
gin and wine and I'm thinking that was a good thing. Yeah. Well, in a culture that's so normalized, alcohol, and someone was commenting to me the other day, I can't remember who it was, was saying, you know, I've noticed so many of your podcast guests are coming out of the UK. And the UK is one of our biggest, like, we have Eastern Standard Time, we have, you know, some people in the Middle East, and then we have the UK. And I think that's really interesting and probably really reflective of the drinking culture there. Yeah, I I would say it was a mark of passage. It was, you know, when you're a teenager, it it was just completely normal. You would have been weird if you didn't drink and it was normal to get so drunk that you'd black out. That that was just normal amongst teenagers. It wasn't like, oh, I'm going to have a glass of wine with dinner. It was, you know, really potent, disgusting drinks which, you know, I remember mixing beer and cider and black currants and making concoctions. And that was like our taster before we went out clubbing. And yeah, it, that was just completely normalized. And, and you know, in my 20s and my 30s, and then unfortunately, I think there's a really big culture around um, women when they get into their 30s and 40s, you know, when women have babies and children um, and you're a bit stressed and have your glass yeah. of wine and you know, there's a whole culture around that, around it's completely acceptable to get drunk on a Friday night if you have a nice wine glass and a nice posh bottle of wine. So it, you know, it changed from really bad drinks (laughs) as a teenager to posh bottles of wine, but that's acceptable. That's the acceptable face of big drinking. And, And I think there's a lot of women that are out there that maybe had children or you know in high-powered jobs or just finding jobs really stressful and you get to your 40s and and it's accepted that we'd go around and have drinks and that was seen as a coping mechanism and it's you know it's just not it's really not right and there's so much pressure on women in general. You know, it's almost like there's like this superwoman thing of like, you know, mm. be the parent, have the career, do it all. And with nowhere to turn to, that can be the thing to turn to. Completely. I, you know, I, I see it in myself and I see it in so mm. many friends who unfortunately lose their identity and, and lose what they care about, what they're passionate about and lose a sense of who they are because they're so busy you know again it's another badge of honor is the busy i used to carry it people would say how are you and i'd go i'm busy really busy as though again that's a good thing to be busy and exhausted i saw it in myself and that whole wanting to be a super i even remember saying to people i want to be a superhero and you know, I got to 40 and just went, oh, I don't want to be a superhero anymore. <laughs> yeah, time to uh, time to practice self-care. So what was the, we kind of talked a little bit about your increase in alcohol consumption over time. Where was the turning point for you when you wanted to, or when you started your sober journey? Uh, so I hit 40. Yeah. And I had the stereotypical midlife breakdown. It was inevitable, really. It was inevitable. I'd been working hard, really hard, like seven days a week, completely burnt out. My face used to melt because I was so exhausted. And I would top myself up with with drink, with wine on a Friday and a Saturday night because I saw it as um, I deserve it. 
I deserve to get pissed because I've worked so hard. I deserve yeah. it. And unfortunately, at the age of 40, I had a breakdown. I say unfortunately, but I actually mean fortunately because it changed my life. It completely woke me up. And I hit 40 and everything began to unravel. All the person that I thought I was and the armor that I was wearing and the I'm a warrior, um, it just all fell apart. And, and I had to leave my job. I had to leave so many things, but I had to leave myself. And, and even though I, I look back at my old self and, and I love her, I love my old self. I also love who I am now and, and what I'm becoming and finding out who I am now. And, and I think it, so I'm 48, so it's taken me eight years of exploring sobriety and healing. And I do sober Januaries. And then as soon as the last day of sober January, I'd line up my gin bottles and I'd be like, oh, I'm really deserving of this gin because <laughs> I've just spent a month being sober, sorting my head out. Good idea to get pissed at the end of the month. Um, and again, that's a normal, you know, we do dry Januaries and sober Octobers in Britain with the idea of, you know, definitely for me and others to get pissed at the end. And it's like, no, 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 I wanted to explore further. So I, 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 would, I would dally in it, dilly-dally over the, you know, the last couple of years. And then it was the last day of 2019 and it was New Year's Eve. And I was deciding to do another dry January. And in the morning I woke up and just went, I think I'm done. I think I'm done. And it was a really clear marker in my head. It was like when I stopped smoking, when I stopped smoking, I was just like, yeah, I'm done now. I've, I've smoked loads. Don't need to smoke anymore. And I sort of felt that with alcohol, it was a, yeah, I don't think I need to drink anymore. I've, I don't know why I'm doing this. And I had, you know, decreased and decreased and decreased over the years. And I'd been moderating. And then I just thought, no, I, don't, I, I don't actually need it. Mm -hmm. So it's been 20 months. Wow. 20 months of being alcohol free and it has been an adventure. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> and I honestly just got shivers when you said, you know, you just had this feeling of you were done because yeah. I can, I can kind of relate to that a little bit. I mean, I didn't know that I was quitting forever when I quit, but it was, I could never do a dry, dry January. I would look at people doing a dry January and be like, I could never ever do that. And so the idea of me committing to a month alcohol free was massive and but there was this big feeling with certainty of like I was it was like the same kind of feeling of certainty but it was it was like I'm done for a month <laughs> it was not like I'm done forever and I think there are certain like there are different kinds of people and it sounds like I really connect to like we're similar in that regard is just rip the band-aid off but it takes you a while to get to that point and then when you rip it off you're like okay it's done throwing that away yeah <laughs> yeah I think I think that's really true and I think um, a lot of people, when you become alcohol free, you don't see the background, you don't see the steps yeah. leading up. Yeah. And I think that sometimes, you know, if you're out there saying I'm alcohol free um, and you say, you know, I'm 20 months, 
people are like, oh, wow, that's great. And how you just did it like that. And it's like, no, <laughs> no, there was many, many years. And, you know, I look back at journals and, and most of my journals say, I wish that I could moderate. I wish that I could stop. I'm going to stop for this month. Um, oh, I feel shame again because I drank last night. And, you know, it was a repetitive pattern, right. you know, over the last many years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely had that too. I don't know if I have, I journaled super inconsistently, um, but I bet even as young as like in my early teens, I was like, I wish I had drink. Yeah. <laughs> Took me like yeah. a decade <laughs> to finally quit. Completely. And I, and I think that, I know when I was younger, I had regret because I'd have a hangover or I'd have done something really stupid. Yeah. But as, as time went on, it was like the regret became shame. Yeah. And it became feeling of like anger towards myself that I wasn't able to hold my drink. I wasn't, you know, I I went to places and I, I black out, I black out a lot. And I just thought, you know, the amount of times that that happened, I just thought this isn't this isn't good for me. This isn't yeah. healthy. You know, it wasn't a vodka in the morning with my cornflakes. And it, I was a binge drinker, so I wouldn't drink for ages. And then I would blow out. And, and then the regret and the shame the next morning. And, and checking my texts to make sure that I hadn't sent exes any messages or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, I can so relate to that feeling. <laughs> so you and I um, connected originally, I think, through One Year No Beer way mm-hmm. back. And now, you know, we're obviously connected through Sober Curious Yoga and the Mindful Life Practice. I'm wondering if you could tell me a bit about, you know, the different tools that you used when you were quitting drinking on your journey. Uh, so I really like structure. Mm-hmm. I thrive with structure. Um, and I thought I needed a program. So I started off with One Year No Beer, which was brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, but I found it overwhelming. And there was, you know, there are amazing people that I connected with. And I'm so grateful for it. But I found myself getting lost yeah. amongst, you know, many, many people on the, on the Facebook site that One Year No Beer has. But I did make some beautiful connections. And one of them was yourself and, and, yeah. and a couple of other people who were like my lighthouses, like absolute lighthouses. So for me, I think it was the structure Amazing. that I was I was really needing. And I needed community. I think that was my biggest thing when I decided to stop drinking a couple of years ago I had no community there wasn't anybody that was not drinking other than people who were maybe sort of hardcore serious drinkers who were wanting to give up and were following the AA route and I explored that but I just thought oh it's not it's not tallying I'm much more about holistic I'm much more I'm interested in the psychology of why people become addicted um and it, so for me, AA wasn't the route for me to go yeah. down. Um, so I knew that I needed other people who were maybe like me or in similar sort of communities. And I would say that was, has been one of the biggest and most important things is, is meeting others. And most of them I met online and they live across the world. Um, but I, it's just, you know, shame dies, doesn't it? Shame dies when you can share your story with others. Yeah. And, you know, one of my heroes, Brené Brown, 
think she's been sober like 25 years or something like that and she was you know a catalyst for me as part of my sobriety I just thought you know if this amazing woman who's all about vulnerability and shame Mm -hmm. is sober and is able to share her story then maybe I could share with others because I've kept a lot of myself hidden you know doing this is like oh my god exposing but you know I'm, I'm at a stage now where it's like I'm really proud I'm so proud yeah. of being alcohol free I really am so I would say community connection and consistency before I stopped drinking I wasn't consistent I was nice. all over the shop I'd be very much all or nothing I would do 10 exercise classes a day or not anything for a week I would eat healthy for a week and then live on pizza I was incredibly inconsistent and for me I thought that was my most important thing was consistency is wake up every morning with intention journal I meditate I do my yoga and every single day I have a routine and a structure which keeps me on on the path and it keeps me it keeps me grounded you know I I have a tendency to be manic or asleep (laughs) (laughs) I'm either manic or asleep I just thought my sobriety needs to have safety around it Mm -hmm. Um, and for me that structure hence coming to yoga classes every day because it gives me it gives me that purpose it gives me that reason it gives me community um, and and sharing with other people the ups and downs of of sobriety and, and healing um, so yeah I, I would I would say that for me is the most important thing is community and consistency and, and big so cups of coffee yes I've got mine too <laughs> I can't have caffeine anymore. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, that's the other thing is when I gave up alcohol, I became, I can't have sugar, I can't have caffeine. I went from one extreme yeah. to the other. So now everything's decaf. And we were speaking about this, I think I was speaking about this the other night with Lee. Maybe, I think you might have been there in the sober circle. We were talking about how so many people um, go alcohol free and then make other big lifestyle changes like vegetarian or. I know I had this massive ripple through my life where I became alcohol free and then vegan and then stopped coffee and then sugar for like in a really short span of time. And then I ended up bringing other, some of those things back into my life. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, The most important thing for me is sobriety. And then I'm like, okay, if I have some sugar or some coffee, it's okay. (laughs) And I, and I can understand. And I'm definitely from my own perspective, I'm, I'm very, extreme and all or nothing and I I have an addiction to everything I could be addicted to avocados it's like I I just have a very sort of when I want to do something I'm incredibly focused Mm -hmm. and I will do it but I will do it to an extreme so I will exercise to an extreme I'll be sober to an extreme I'll be no sugar to an extreme and and again I think that being sober has allowed me to find that middle path you know that that place of it's all right to just slow down and and to and to find that middle place of of groundedness and and life is so much sweeter yeah (laughs) 
so tell me about your journey in becoming a yoga teacher. And I think you and I are similar in the sense that we were both practicing and teaching yoga before sobriety, right? And so tell me about, first of all, becoming a yoga teacher and then how it's different. I guess I shouldn't ask two questions at once. Start with tell me about becoming a yoga teacher. <laughs> so, so I practiced yoga on and off, I think, I don't know, over 20 years. Um, and it had sort of an inconsistent practice. Um, and then when I had my breakdown, I was very, very ill. I was really ill and I couldn't get out of bed. Um, and I needed to do something. And I just did very simple breath practice, meditation practice. And yoga, it, it essentially saved my life. It really did. And I just thought, I want to learn to be a teacher for me. And if I share that with others, that's brilliant. But I very much wanted to learn um, to to understand why I was doing these postures. What was this philosophy? What was it about? What was what was behind the classes that we go to? Why do we do this? And why did it have such an amazing effect on my life? Yeah. You know, I discovered self-compassion through yoga. I didn't even know what that meant before before you know I had my breakdown and and I would say that was really when I started so I trained as a children's teacher and then a teenager and then realized I didn't want to work with kids <laughs> I was like I've worked, worked for years with kids and I just thought oh man I don't have the energy for that anymore Same. and then unfortunately I was in a very unhealthy marriage and left the marriage and uh, went and lived in an ashram for a couple of months in Wales. And I come from Wales, so I just thought, ah, oh, let's go full circle, go and retrain to be a yoga teacher. And so I spent a couple of months being alcohol free, living in an ashram. And, and it was amazing. It was, oh, I suddenly sat with all those feelings, all those feelings that I'd been repressing for years and and I just thought you know even if I never teach a class of yoga that to me isn't why I'm doing this I need to learn for me I need to yeah. understand what yoga is about for me it's my journey it's my it's my um connection to myself to my real self and it's a way of connecting with others um so I did my training and then I think it was, uh, that was quite a few years ago now, but like maybe five or six years ago. And over the past couple of years, I've, I've been teaching yoga classes and I've been working in uh, creativity and well-being work, ironically, which I wasn't able to look after myself, but I could look after others. Yeah. Um, and yoga enabled me to have the tools to start looking after myself. It was like, I, I was your stereotypical um, healer where I'd look after others care about others support others but I didn't do that for myself and when I trained to be a yoga teacher that's when I started learning to to make sure I did my own practice first to fill my cup and and that for me was what yoga teaching was about that in order to support to teach to work with others I do it for myself first and then I have enough to authentically give to others rather than give it from a place of lack. Mm -hmm. 
And so did you find, like for myself, I found my yoga experience shifted after sobriety. Did you feel that as well? And what changed for you? Oh my God, completely, completely. I, I think it was the embodiment of it. I began to really embody my practice and to really think about, you know, the philosophy and how can I apply that philosophy mm. practically in everyday life? You know, I think that often people see yoga and they see the postures on Instagram and things like that and don't equate it to actually the philosophy and, and, and why yeah. we do yoga. And and for me, it was very much about self-compassion that I when I first was practicing yoga it was hardcore I did power yoga and ashtanga yoga which is great but I couldn't do that now yeah. um and I, I I think I ended up when I became sober doing yin like twice a day I'd gone from being yang yeah. very yang to completely yin and I would say my practice now is much more balanced but I think I spent the first six months of sobriety just lying there on the mat crying, <laughs> sipping yin and having a sleep. I yeah. think that was my yoga practice for six months. <laughs> and that's funny because I went the opposite way um, in that, or not the opposite way, but I became so yang. Like I remember the summer of, I was coming up to a hundred days sober and I like had a personal trainer, was doing my bar training, was doing my spin instructor training. And when I got to yoga, I could only do yin. <laughs> <laughs> and I, could, I couldn't even do shavasana. Um, it was like too, I had to come into child's pose. Like there was something about putting my hand on the mat. I yeah. was just so go, go, go. And luckily that's kind of chilled out of it. And now I have a really good balance. You know, I have my yin, yeah. I have my bar. It's all good. And I think it is. I, I think I'm finally getting the balance because I think I did six months of yin and I think I did six months of hit and mm. I, I again I went through a very similar thing of like sleeping and then I was like high really high and now I would say I'm just finding the balance yeah. and and I think it's about listening about yeah. listening to myself I think my yoga practice I didn't used to listen I didn't used to listen to myself about anything you know I, I just was not in connected to myself and I would say the past couple of years that has has been the most sort of um change with my yoga is that I listen and if I go to a class and I just want to lie down I will you know I'd go to classes and in the olden days and try and compete and my ego would be there and I'd be like she's really bendy I'm gonna be bendy too mm -hmm. whereas now I'm like I'm just going to do child pose I'm just going to rest I'm just going to turn up that's enough <laughs> and that's what really is the sign of a an advanced practice I think it's like having the humility to uh to not worry about what anyone else is doing and just kind of feel into your own experience yeah, yeah. and I and I think that it took me a long time to get there because my yeah. ego wouldn't yeah. let me and 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 I had to, you know, I got very ill, so it, it meant I had to stop and I had to listen to my body and I had to listen to to what my body was screaming and shouting. And, um, and once I did that, that's when the body-mind connection started happening. Mm -hmm. So tell me about your journey becoming Sober Curious Yoga teacher. What made you want to become involved in the program? 
for me again sobriety and yoga just go hand in hand absolutely hand in hand and and I know how much it impacted me I know that again as I said that structure having connection talking with other people and knowing that other people have got similar experiences like authentic conversations about sobriety and well-being rather than you know pretense and putting on a mask and and it was it was it was enlightening it was just enlightening to be around other sober people who all practice yoga in all different kinds of ways across the world and I just thought when the opportunity came about I, I just have to again it was similar to when I trained to be a yoga teacher I just thought let's just do this for me yeah. you know all of my yoga teacher training has been let's do this for me let's learn and explore and experiment and, and, and see what happens and and allow things to unfold um, and so when yeah when the training came up I just was really excited. I also won the training, didn't I? Which yes. is better. <laughs> I was thinking, didn't you win the cruise and then you did the training? And I was actually just thinking about that because yeah. I said, I don't think I told you this, but I was like, I'm going to print a picture of Jules's face and carry it around the cruise. And then I was just so busy the day of that I forgot. <laughs> I was there. I was there. So yeah, so I'd entered the draw and I'd won a cruise in um, Abu Dhabi which sounds amazing but given that I live in Bristol in the UK and we're in the middle of lockdown I just thought oh that's gonna be a bit of a challenge to get to might be might be quite challenging but you know I could try it um and then I I was really cheeky and said look this is a great prize but um could I could I have the sober girls yoga teacher training and you said yeah that'd be great um and I'm so glad that I did I'm so glad because again it was it felt like it was the next step that I didn't necessarily know if you'd have said to me 20 months ago Jules you'll be teaching sober yoga I I just <laughs> across the world I, I would have been gobsmacked I would I would have been how does that work um and again being sober I've let things unfold like the control has had to be you know let go of and I've had yeah. to surrender to whatever opportunities and things arrive so for me, the, the sober training tallied and it very much um, brought home a lot of my own experiences of yeah. sobriety and yoga. And, and it's just been beautiful, you know, how amazing to share two things that are really important to me with other people. It's like, what a lovely, what a lovely opportunity. And it means that I, I get, I hope to see other people's journeys Mm -hmm. and you know we're all different we're all unique we've all got different journeys and reasons why we're on this path but it's beautiful watching other people yes. grow and change and develop and go on you know this adventure that we're all on together yeah absolutely I totally agree and I'm the same way I don't think I ever would have thought I would be doing sober yoga honestly and when I tell people the story of how it unfolded, it makes so much sense in retrospect, like all the steps and all the different evolutions of this program to be like where it is now. Um, but yeah, three years ago, I would have probably laughed if someone said that to me. <laughs> I think that's what sobriety and, and being alcohol free, you know, being on this adventure can do is that it just opens up possibilities and it opens up opportunities. And 
as I think I was saying to you and a couple of others, I, I met with some friends recently and they said, oh God, are you not drinking? That must be so boring. And I, I really had this feeling inside of me of, oh no, <laughs> my life really isn't boring. You know, I was really fearful that my life would be boring when I gave up drinking. But if anything, my life has been like just so much more real and like just I feel so much more me since I've stopped drinking and I don't have to pretend and I don't have to hide and you know I'm naturally when when I'm out with lots of people I, I actually I'd rather be at home with a, a nice cup of tea and a hot water bottle I don't have to go out to the pub anymore yeah. and pretend to be this extrovert social person where actually I'm a bookworm and I like being quiet and <laughs> I'm resting um, so yeah I think that I would definitely say for me that sobriety has opened up so many doors I never thought would be opened and and I'm just embracing it all embracing all these adventures seeing what happens next and if nothing happens it doesn't matter because I'm sober yeah rather than the grasping and trying to you know find things and um you know in the olden days i'd be constantly trying too hard and working too hard whereas now it's like i just allow things to sort of unfold and happen and, and see what resonates with me and if it doesn't i don't follow it and if something resonates with me i try it and embrace it yeah yeah oh that's so true the just the adventures that come from sobriety. And you're right, people often think it's boring, but it's probably the most exciting time <laughs> my life has ever been. <laughs> That's the thing, I think there's so many of us. It's like, you know, I, I have so many friends and connections now who are in the alcohol-free communities. I would say none of them are boring. Yeah. You know, they've got all different things that are going on. I, I just don't equate being alcohol-free with boring. And totally. as I said, when my friend said to me, is your life boring? I didn't even have to justify it because inside I just had this inner knowing and this inner smile of, no, <laughs> no, totally. no. Boring is, you know, getting pissed and falling over and blacking out and not remembering the next day and, and eating rubbish food and repeating that for years and making very, you know, unhealthy choices. And I, I try not to do that anymore now. I'm, I'm more awake and more conscious about those choices that I make. And maybe boring is, you know, having a nice book to read and a nice cup of tea, but I choose that. Yeah, same. <laughs> All right, I have one last question for you, Jules. Um, what advice would you give in general to someone who is interested in quitting drinking? For me, would say that find your communities find people find people that you can connect with online in the real world like so where i live in bristol there's sober circle southwest which is you know for people that live in the uk find people on facebook on instagram follow people um like my facebook and my instagram now is mainly made up of alcohol free <laughs> health yeah. healing and well-being um and podcasts, I, I love podcasts. There's some amazing podcasts out there, you know, this one included, but listen to people, 
and yeah find your tribe definitely find your tribe and for me I had to go into therapy I definitely equate my um, trauma and my um, alcohol usage so for me that was my journey so if that's something that you know isn't for you then then you don't do it but if you think do you know what maybe I do need to talk to somebody or I do need to go to a safe space to share some of my experiences I would highly recommend doing it because it really supported me in my sobriety is, is to find a space just to unpack when I yeah. became sober a lot of feelings arose and a lot of overwhelming yeah. feelings um, began to, to stir and I needed spaces I needed a place to talk to um, the biggest thing is just embrace it as an adventure you know it really is it's like try it do a day sober do a week do an hour you know I wouldn't have been able to do it if I had said to myself I'm going to be sober for the rest of my life because yeah. as you said that's so overwhelming and terrifying but it was just like I just knew that I was I was done um, but yeah you know take little steps that's been my motto all the way through this is little steps you know take it gentle find ways to be kind and loving to yourself um, and have maybe an awareness of your triggers you know for me Friday night was my trigger uh, mm -hmm. that was my night of going I've had a really long week I'm really knackered Friday night bottle of wine because that'll help <laughs> that'll help my exhaustion um, so I, I now on a Friday night I, I do a yoga class I do a hit class just to burn off that energy yeah. um, I have routines in place so instead of my typical Friday where I would have drunk a whole bottle of wine and eaten a load of chocolate um, I put things that care for me and yeah. nurture me and enable me to have a really lovely weekend so I don't wake up or also have a really early morning class mm -hmm. 6.30 in the morning on a Saturday I get up and do Alex's class I literally roll out of bed I'm in my pajamas and I get to yoga at 6.30 in the morning you can't do that with a hangover mm -hmm. <laughs> and I always think about you guys and I'm like, I don't know how you're doing it because I am also rolling out of bed at 930 <laughs> and we're all just waking up together. I know. Well, I have discovered my mornings since I've been alcohol free. I, I, I didn't know before seven o'clock existed and now I'm, I'm up usually about sort of 536. Yeah, and, and, I, and for me, that that's really helped is that I can't have a hangover the night before because you can't get yeah. up at six in the morning to go and do yoga it's like <laughs> you know what I actually as we're talking about it I used to be I was so morning when I first got sober and I think what has actually shifted it is that I'm doing business with people in the west and so I'm late at night with them <laughs> yeah. and that's the only reason my morning and now that I'm not working at you know the 6 a.m teaching job my mornings have have gotten later um but I definitely can relate with you I remember I used to get up at, like at the sunrise and I kept putting it on my Instagram story, but no one knew about my sober journey at that point. So I just seemed like this really annoying yoga person that was like, live, love, life, 5 a.m. sunrise. <laughs> and then once you become vulnerable and you share, you know, this is why it becomes, I think, a bit less annoying. <laughs>
yeah I, and i and i've seen that with lots of lots of people becoming alcohol free as we, we find our mornings and yeah. it's like you can get so much done you can you can i don't know i, I do pack so much in the morning but i do need to sleep in the afternoon yeah. and it's like <laughs> that's my balance now <laughs> sleep in the afternoon up in the morning yeah love it <laughs> well jules i want to thank you so much for taking time to be on the show it was honestly wonderful to sit down with you um and it just feels like chatting with a good friend because we've become such good friends over this pandemic so i really appreciate it and i'm sure a lot of our listeners will take a lot from this episode so thank you so much oh thank you and thank you for popping my cherry in my podcasting <laughs> and I, thank you very much and i think i'll see you in a few hours right are you coming to yoga yeah yeah in bar see you soon <laughs> you, all right bye. take care jules bye Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Sober Yoga Girl with Alex McRobbs. I am so, so grateful for every one of you. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss the next one and leave a review before you go. See you soon. Bye.